back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And the months have turned into weeks, have turned into days, and now, by the time this episode is posted, we will be within 100 hours of the Academy Awards 2020 coming to you live on February 9th. Because the Academy hates all of us in this business. <laughs> we'll talk we about that. We will get to that. Yeah. But first, because the Academy Awards are right around the corner, we wanted to start an Oscars tradition, and he was nice enough to join us last year. He is nice enough to come back and join us during Oscars week again this year. We figured there was no more appropriate time to talk to truly one of the high points of our year. Mr. Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter joins us today to recap and preview all things Oscar. So last year we talked to Scott about his origin story, his career, more about uh, how he became the foremost Oscarologist in the business, how he covers the Industry, how he runs his podcast. Definitely want to direct you back to episode 165. Sure. And you can probably find it a little faster via our playlist tab on our SoundCloud account in the MMO interviews playlist there. But but look, in many ways, Mr. Feinberg is why we do this. Yeah. We, we love his writing on The Hollywood Reporter. You can find all of it in his THR blog, The Race at HollywoodReporter.com. Michael, he is a true industry insider. But he also has this wealth of knowledge about film history, and you know he's just a damned good journalist. And you know when he puts his name on something, it's going to be work you can trust. So we love Scott's writing. Uh, we also love the Awards Chatter podcast. This is appointment listening yeah. every single week. It's truly, it's one of the best in the business going. And Scott, dude. You know, we're our fans and we are biased, but I truly believe objectively he's one of the best interviews for some of the top notch people in Hollywood. For some recent highlights of what he's done on that podcast for The Hollywood Reporter, he and Cynthia Erivo have gone through her life in the theater and on Broadway and what has made her a movie star. He's got many other, seriously, the creme de la creme of Hollywood, the A list. He gets them all in there, sits them down, and goes through their life of how they got to where they are today. Each one is more fascinating than the last. And there's even some examples in, buried in those of how to like maintain composure as a professional when things go true, wrong true. like one of the episodes he had earlier this year I won't name drop but if you go through his library and go seek that out Scott is cooler than the other side of the pillow as Stuart Scott would say Scott mentioned uh, last year how he kind of does his research and gets into all those interviews and uh, it's on full display after that you know talk with Scott last year this time and going into his entire slate at awards chatter it added another element so again listen to that interview with us but you you will see all of his technique on display i mean he gets alan alda to be like the funniest guy on the planet yeah. uh paul walter hauser is probably the funniest guy on the planet they should do a buddy cop movie the two of them and he makes scott laugh really hard <laughs> there's also the live show with al pacino he gets al pacino telling all these stories i don't know if that's so hard to do but he, he holds it <laughs> together which is probably hard to do it's one spellbinding story after the next about the entertainment world about al, al pacino's origin story shia labeouf and jonathan price those interviews made me emotional lupita nyango and tom hanks i learned so much from those my god it's just florence Pugh, julia butters they're all terrific yeah look we can go on for days about all the awesome things that scott does and we have in the first time we talked to him <laughs> as the setup and we, we wanted to do more this time as well it's 
really, truly we mean it, and, and from the bottoms of our heart, it means a lot, our relationship we've been able to forge with him, and it's all been due to his kindness uh, and his civility towards us as basically a nothing podcast that started this two years ago, and just reach out to him as a fellow Connecticut Hollywood movie lover, uh, and it's been awesome to have, to, to build this relationship, and he's been awesome to, to enough to share his thoughts about the Oscars race each year with you guys, the listeners. Yeah, we can be harsh on a lot of people, and as movie critics, yeah. in terms of our criticism, we know we can be tough on people, so when we gush over somebody as much as we gush over over this man's work, there's a reason for it. Yes. It's because we truly look up to him, and he's awesome at his job, and we've been consuming his writing for years. And Back in college, sure. the first chance I got to go on the internet and look up Oscar stuff, yeah. I was looking at what Scott Feinberg was writing. Yeah, just as someone who didn't see every movie but love the Oscars, and you mm-hmm. type in what are the Oscars rankings in, like, January, his is one of the first names that pops up anyway with the Feinberg forecast, so we've had an attachment to him for a long while. We share the kinship of both being from the same state, having been through some of the same parts of the state as well, so truly, truly, we hope you enjoy this. We love doing it. This is our interview with Scott Feinberg, setting the table as one of the last looks, last previews of Oscars 2020. Enjoy it, guys, and we will see you all on the other side. It is our pleasure to once again welcome Scott Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter. Scott, thank you very, very much for doing this with us once again, uh, becoming an Oscars Week tradition for us, and we couldn't be happier about it. How are you today? My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me and for all of your uh, kind words throughout the year. Uh, It's our pleasure, and again, we're very, very grateful for you to agree to do this once more. So, uh, like we said, we had you on last year for the first time talking with you, and that was a huge, huge moment of pride for us. And uh, we felt like we might have ambushed you last year by just coming right out of the gate (laughs) and asking you about Best Picture without warning. So this year, we recorded, we pre-recorded a nice long setup for you. We were kind of lavishing praise about you being our inspiration. And and after (laughs) that, we figured then we'd ambush you with the Best Picture question. Yeah, all right. (laughs) (laughs) So right off the gate, who's winning Best Picture this year? Well, as you guys know, the last few years, it's become harder to answer that question or to predict that with any confidence because of the fact that the Academy now uses this preferential ballot, which means that it's not just the movie, you know, outright getting the most votes um, necessarily, but they weigh all, you know, they're asking voters to rank all of their uh, best picture nominees and, and then they're sort of essentially weighted in a convoluted way that I'm not going to put you through right now. You guys may know, but your listeners, I think, would be falling asleep by the time I was done with it. But the bottom (laughs) line is that, um, you know, they want to make sure that it's that the winner is a movie that at least most people like or that is the the least objectionable of the nominees. And so um, trying to figure out what that is is hard because you're sort of working backwards and trying to, you know, become a psychologist almost. And my sense is that we're probably down to three, maybe four movies. I would be shocked if anything other than those ones. So uh, I think the longest shot of those four would be Jojo Rabbit. It's got very passionate supporters, but also people who feel it's sort of tone deaf at a time when anti-Semitism is coming back. So that I would have as probably the fourth most likely. I think the third most likely is probably... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though it really does play to the Hollywood constituency of the Academy. It's a movie about the town, about the business. It's sort of very nostalgic right at the age when, you know, a lot of Academy members remember, uh, you know, that period very well. Um, 
Parasite has just come on very strong at the end and, and I think could really get a boost from the preferential ballot because even though it's not a movie that necessarily everyone will see or like, uh, it is a movie that most people who see or like it, or that most people who see it uh, do at least quite like it, if not love it. And I think it could end up at, you know, two or three uh, in the rankings on a lot of ballots. And that would be historic because we've never had a non-English language movie win Best Picture. But I think that 1917 is the safe bet at the moment just because of the fact that all the indicators that we do have to go on really suggest it will be that. You've got the Producers Guild, which is the only other group that uses a preferential ballot, which went for it. You've got the Directors Guild, which has been the the most predictive of not only the Directors category, but the, the Picture category going for it. You've got BAFTA, uh, excuse me, BAFTA, Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, all going for it. Yes, SAG was the the one notable exception, and they went for Parasite, which was unprecedented for a non-English language film. And and yes, SAG has been the one thing that did predict some other big upsets in years past, whether it was Shakespeare in Love or Crash. But it's just betting against a little too much history for me to pick it. Like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if it won, but I I can't, I would be betting against the information I have to, to pick it. Scott, is there a win in the quote-unquote undercard, a technical category like editing in previous years or perhaps this year? It's the screenplays or even 1917 taking production design. Is there Mm -hmm. a category in the first part of the broadcast that will indicate to you how the night is going to go? It could well be that that one. I don't know the order yet of what the categories will be, but I would say that I would look very closely at something like makeup and hairstyling, which has uh, everyone predicting bombshell or Judy, but in fact has not gone, you know, there has not been a year in which that category has had a best picture nominee that lost to a non best picture nominee in 22 years. So that would be defying a lot of history there, which is why I'm wondering if either 1917 or Joker could be the surprise there. Um, I don't, you know, that's just kind of, that struck me when I realized that's that. I would also look at maybe production design where a lot of people have, they think if once upon a time in Hollywood is going to get recognized anywhere, it would be for production design. But if it can't beat 1917 there, I think that's a bad sign for once upon a time in Hollywood and a good sign for 1917. If 1917 loses there, I don't think it's the end of the world because that would be the place where people can acknowledge once upon a time. But if 1917 wins that, I don't see how it isn't going on to win some other stuff as well. Um, the conversely, if 1917 starts losing in places like the sound categories where it's up against Ford v Ferrari, I'm going to be a little worried that maybe uh, the the level of support for it is not what I thought it was, but you know there are there are exceptions to all of these rules. It's it's just those are some of the things I'll be looking for. What happened? Uh, you've you've talked about you've already set the table that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at one point it was the front runner for some of the big ones this year. It, it, its high point was basically Critics' Choice, and then sags it doesn't do much. 
BAFTAs obviously it kind of gets shut out and even upset by Parasite WGA as we know Quentin wasn't eligible but when did the worm kind of turn from the people you talked to or what you know about what's going on this year when did the worm kind of turn on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when did it lose all its momentum or what really happened to it this year because it seems like like you said the perfect Academy movie it's a it is a perfect Academy movie and I don't want to say that it it did lose that stuff because it may still come back but my sense is that it always faced an uphill climb, as we know, because it came out in the summer and the shiny new toy gets replaced by a new shiny new toy at a certain point. And in this mm. case, that was probably 1917, where, you know, that came out very late and people responded to it. Uh, and I think that that just, you know, if, not, if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had dropped in you know, at the same time as 1917, I, 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 we might be looking at a different situation because I do think that once upon a time in Hollywood in its own way plays as well, you know, to an Academy member just at, on paper as a war movie without any stars, without any acting nominations. And, you know, there are some things that do give me pause about 1917. It would, I, I think it's been like 84 Actually, I, I don't think it's ever happened that a movie has won without either an acting or an editing nomination, certainly not in 80 plus years. And uh, that is disconcerting. But I also don't think it, it I think it's one of those things that, you know, same as some other stats that just lasted forever that, or, you know, we don't often see movies win without a directing nomination, but it happens. It's just the, and it makes sense when you think about it, that you're really talking in that case about the directing branch is only like a small portion of the Academy. So if they screw somebody over like Ben Affleck, that doesn't mean the rest of the Academy didn't like Argo. And in the end, Argo still won in this case, 1917 like parasite has no acting nominations, partly because nobody had ever heard of anyone in it prior to this year. And it has no editing nomination because there's it, its whole point was to create the appearance that there are no edits. So I don't know if you can really hold that against 1917 or or that that would indicate that it's it's weak. I think if anything, it's a compliment to the movie that that they did not realize that there were some edits going on there to maintain the appearance of it being a one shot movie. Scott, uh, to maybe take a step back and look uh, with a more macro view here, we all seem the three of us anyway. We seem to see Joker in a similar way, and yet yeah. the rest of the world. I know, I mean, right? <laughs> they love this freaking movie. How the heck did Joker get so many nominations? Uh, is it just that popular vote of confidence? It's very bizarre to me. It's one of the kind of mysteries of the season. I never took anything away from Joaquin Phoenix's performance. I thought he, you know, if somebody's got to play that part, he did it as convincingly as anyone um, could have. But the movie, to me, at a time when, you know, the left-leaning American, left-leaning America, is concerned about mental illness causing mass violence. To 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 celebrate a movie in which a guy who's mentally ill and goes and commits mass violence is then essentially celebrated for it at the end of the movie, I I have to say I don't understand how that happened. Um, it is, I guess, the answer is that it's it's it can be a very it can be a movie can be very well made and not still you know encapsulate uh the message that most people would agree with in this town and so i guess in the same way that 
you know, people had their reservations about Green Book, they still mm-hmm. felt it was a well-made movie that was trying to do the right thing, and they rewarded it. And with mm-hmm. Joker, I think what we're talking about is a movie that everything, every element of it, you can't really take issue with from the makeup and hairstyling to the costumes to the production design and on and on and on all the things where it's been nominated but aside from uh, you know i I guess people at the end of the day the the individual branches there was enough support to to get it in there for a nomination but if if it's somehow won then we we've got to throw out the rule book and try to figure out i mean we all of hollywood will need to be put on the (laughs) analyst to to figure out how do you reconcile that with your own political leanings yeah it would certainly leave our mouths agape as well i I don't know how we'd be able to be able to record after that but in some backwards way did like did the media coverage and the hype i know it shouldn't work but did that kind of help joker as far as the minds of people being maybe taking it more seriously do you think it's possible i mean i think the other thing is that this is still a business where more than seeing black or white people see green they want to if a movie does very well at the box office and it's a well-made movie then it's in the conversation and um you know it is the highest grossing movie of 2019 that got a major nomination there are others that are nominated in different categories like avengers endgame and lion king and whatever but those didn't get the major nominations the one that did is joker and i think that Part of it is just an admiration that a studio movie like that, you know, can can still be made and do that well. But uh, I, I think it is it is a very polarizing movie that that remains the case despite the fact that it got eleven nominations. Because again, you can get nominated and still have a lot of people who take issue with you. Um, but I just can't imagine it winning on a preferential ballot. Scott, you got your ear to the grindstone there for sure. We're wondering about like the well-run campaigns this year. There's definitely an art or even a science to it. You know, something like Joker just you know hit, hit a nerve with people, perhaps. But uh, we have a bunch of runaways this year. It seems heavy favorites. Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. stood out to you amongst those or amongst any others of having just the greatest campaign? Who impressed you? Well, there are a lot of people who are in a good position to win who did great campaigns. But I will, I think that we should take a moment to note that, you know, just getting the nomination sometimes is an achievement of a, of a, a reflection of a well run campaign. And I, you know, it's very popular to, to treat Netflix as a punching bag these days. But the fact is this company that wasn't even on the radar just a few years ago, ended up with more nominations than any other company that's out there. 24, um, and two best picture nominees, a bunch of acting, you know, they're probably going to win one of the four acting awards. Uh, they're probably going to win best director. They may win visual effects. I mean, it's a, it's not, they're not going to end up with as many wins as, as they would like. And so that will become the criticism and the questions will go on for another year about, you know, does the Academy have a problem with Netflix? But the reality is for two years in a row now, they've gone, they've done pretty damn well with, with their campaigns in terms of getting, getting nominated, which may be the most important thing from their own point of view, because they want to be able to, they're, they're not playing the same game as the rest of these people that are trying to drive people to go see the movie at the box office. They are trying to show that they're doing, they're working with top people who they then support and will get an audience for. And there's no question if you 
just drive down Sunset Boulevard in, in Hollywood, they've bought basically all the billboards that are in prime locations and you see Netflix really? stuff and they do other, you know, creative things that they're able to do because yes, they have a lot of money and they're willing to spend a lot of money, but they, I think it's not just throwing money at things. They are very strategically smart and, and effective in terms of getting the nominations. What happens after the nominations come out is less a reflection of a campaign than just by that point, how people feel about, movies those opinions have already sort of solidified themselves there's no talking somebody into giving the oscar to adam driver over joaquin phoenix because the narrative is already in place that it's joaquin phoenix's time he's never done before you never did have a better excuse to give it to him he did a great job blah 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 Mm. but they gave these guys quite a run and i i do think they they maybe deserve to be beat up a little less than they tend to be so it's your belief then, I mean, you buy into the theory that sometimes the nomination is the win for certain performances. Or Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, look at like, look at Kathy Bates for Richard Joel or look yeah. at Florence mm. Pugh. That's an achievement. It's not, people didn't necessarily like the movie overall, but they obviously respect the person in that case. And I think that, you know, in, in some cases like Florence Pugh, she, she, did the work. She was at everything. She got in there, not because people were falling over their heels in love with little women. Yeah. I got a nomination for picture and screenplay and some other stuff, but she got in there over Jennifer Lopez because I think she did a good job and she was top of mind for a lot of people. Cause she, she showed up and supported her movie. That's it. So you don't think the, the JLo campaigning, really i mean i don't know even know if you can call it part of the campaign but you know she's extenuating herself she's going on these these fashion week runways she's obviously got booked for the super bowl halftime show before voting opened and yet that right. wasn't enough so i i, 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 think, I think that's that fascinating kind of thing, that was a i don't know that that the way the campaign was run had anything to do with why she wasn't included i think part of it was that that's just not a movie which on um, in, in the minds of a lot of Academy members is, is an Oscar season kind of movie. It's not a, it's not, you know, it's a movie to them. It's a movie about strippers and, you know, robbing people. I've literally just our next brutally honest ballot, which is going up this afternoon. The guy's like, what are we talking about here? This is a movie where they're roofing and robbing guys. And that's fine. It's a fun, entertaining, you know, well done movie, but they just don't in their mind see it as an awards movie. And also she was the only, aspect of it that ever had any traction and so what i think it's more a reflection of is that as they've tried to get you know the membership to become more diverse they've also they've also you know incorporated a lot more uh younger people who are still active in their careers and therefore have less time to watch as many movies before they vote and so what they do is they prioritize the movies that are really in the best picture conversation and that was never hustlers but it was Little Women. It was, you know, some of the others that that that, you know, maybe overperformed expectations in in other categories. Because if you're only watching twelve or fifteen movies, you can only fill out your ballot with the people that were associated with those movies. I just want I I, I first of all I love that answer because you answered about four other questions that we had to lay out on that just one. Uh, I just want to check in with you. I know you said you seem to have a tight schedule. I don't want to keep you if you're busy. Can you go do a few I, more I minutes? I think we can go till the till the top of the hour if that works. Okay. Yeah. Sure. That yeah. that'd be great for us. Okay. We appreciate thank it. you so great. much. Yeah.
So, Scott, it felt like we didn't have enough time for some of the uh, underdogs to really get back into the race because the race was moving at a breakneck pace this year. Right, right. The BAFTAs went up against the Super Bowl, for Christ's sake. We had, <laughs> uh, we, I mean, we had an early announcement about the Oscars basically getting bumped back to the February 28th time slot. I mean, that's way different than this year, the first week of February. Right. Do you think that signifies that the Academy learned some hard lessons this year with the oh, schedule and the calendar? 100%. They heard it yeah. loud and clear, not least from those of us who cover this race because we, you know, just think about it on a, on a practical level for, for the media that covers this stuff. We have to make the same amount of money that we made last year during award season, right? But we've had, now we've been told we have two weeks less to do that. So it's not like we're going to not put out two weeks worth of issues. We're just going to put them into a smaller time frame, which makes life very unpleasant for us. Now, it's not all about us, of course, but I can tell you that we were the first to notice the schedule change and, and express displeasure with it. And I can tell you also that, you know, the the talent and the publicist and everybody, it really has not benefited anyone and nobody's happy with it because yes, you could, on the one hand, it appears like, Oh, the season's shorter. You don't have to do this for as long. If, if you're exhausted or whatever, no, it, it actually means that you have to pack. Not, nothing went away. The golden globes didn't go away. The BAFTA, mm. you know, needing to travel to London for that didn't go away. It's just all done in a compressed, time frame which actually is more exhausting for people and and leaves less time for their own voters to see the movies that they're supposed to be considering so i don't think it benefited anyone and and i think the reason that the academy rescinded its decision to have this earlier timetable for the next two years as well is that they just heard loud and clear that it's not working for anyone I guess that's one positive to the Academy's changes lately. Like with the f- popular film imperative last year, they've at least been listening to the blowback yeah. Yeah, and, and they've been yeah. willing to, to adjust. So I guess that's something to take from it. Um, I have a question about best picture. You kind of hit on parasite already. Uh, I just want to, I've had this theory all year and I just need you to tell me if I'm insane or not about it. <laughs> sure. I, I have been vehement that I think it's impossible for something like Parasite to win Best Picture if it's the same Academy that propelled something like Green Book last year to a win. Out of the middle of the pack, essentially, when we're getting down to Oscars week, it was kind of a surprise. Five to one. Yeah, Am I insane for thinking that? Or do you at least find that there is this division amongst this kind of age gap with the new and widening diversified Academy that maybe the younger members are more willing to embrace different films let's say no i feel free to use harsh language uh, against my (laughs) co-host oh listen i i think it's an interesting point but you have to remember that the year before green book or two years before green i'm yeah two years before green book they gave it to moonlight so Mm, you know they they, there is clearly there are different there are widely varying tastes uh in the academy and i think the other thing to keep in mind is that the push to prevent a future Oscar so white did not involve only including, you know, inviting more people of color and more women, but it also in- included inviting a lot of international members. Now, these are pe- meaning people based outside of the United States. And these are people who are accustomed to watching movies with subtitles, including American movies. So mm. to them, Parasite is not a giant leap you know, to, to, to sit down and convince them to watch it. But what really suggests that Parasite could do something special here is that SAG, which is a 
pretty much all American group that leans towards populist movies and is is massive, like hundred thousand plus SAG AFTRA pick pick the winners of the SAG awards, they gave their top prize to Parasite. So if that group is gonna go for Parasite, what about a group of people who are supposedly even more serious and accomplished when it comes to film. I, I think that that was a very striking moment. And also the optics of it were very striking that it was a, a, a they are not a group that is on the defensive about their lack of inclusion, whereas the Academy is. Now, I don't think people vote to try to show that they are, they are enlightened or whatever, but I do think it would be quite a, response to people who call the academy you know closed-minded if you end up with a an all asian cast up there accepting the best picture oscar in a year in which you know they they came up shorter than people would have liked in other categories so i i think there there is a very real possibility that this could happen with parasite it would certainly blow up the internet yeah. for good or for ill uh, but let, let's say that doesn't happen. Uh, we, we do have a lot of betting favorites that are heavy favorites this year, like we, we talked about earlier. Is there a category that you think with a heavy favorite is most vulnerable, whether it's the acting categories, Parasite and International, probably not, but bombshell and hair and makeup, something like that? Yeah. Most vulnerable? Um, that is definitely one that I would be very I'm, – I'm very – kind of anxious about makeup and hairstyling um but i also gotta be honest after last year's experience with the whole world predicting glenn close and then olivia coleman winning what that you know kind of suggested to me was something that had also been suggested a few years earlier when lady gaga and diane warren's song which everyone thought was going to win lost to the bond movie which is that people can only vote theoretically for movies that they've actually seen and if you have very limited time, and this year there's even more limited time than there was last year, you have very limited time to see movies and make your decisions, then perhaps a movie like Judy with Renee Zellweger was not as prioritized as, say, Marriage Story, which is a Best Picture nominee and has a bunch of other nominations. So the things that might have, in a year when people had time to really watch Judy or Bombshell uh, in larger numbers, you might have... I would have felt better about predicting Renee Zellweger or Charlize Theron, but I do wonder if, you know, last year Glenn Close was the only nominee from The Wife, which I think therefore was less of a priority for voters than Olivia Coleman's movie The Favorite, which was tied for the most nominations. So when we're trying, when we go back and try to figure out how something like that happened, it's not that I don't believe it's that people don't like Glenn Close suddenly, or they didn't like her performance. I think they did not see her performance in as, big a number as the, the number of people who saw Olivia Coleman. So I'm a little bit concerned that not concerned, but you know, I think I would, I would keep a close eye on best actress if there were to be, if there was to be any acting hmm. surprise. Wow. And um, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get you out of here. We'll start wrapping up. I love that answer. And it, it's kind of given me hope because I'm clamoring for an upset with one of these acting categories personally. Um, I, I have to ask you about the brutally honest Oscars ballot that you just uh, put out a couple days ago with that no name actress. Uh, I, you know, we don't know her age. We don't know anything about it. Do you find 
speaking to Academy members, because, you know, there's some jarring quotes in here. Like, I want an American director to win, she says. Another mm-hmm. quote is that mm-hmm. Parasite's beautifully done, but I don't think foreign films should be nominated with regular films. Those are her words. Do you find that most Academy members vote based on merit? Or do you find they bring in their kind of personal whatever opinions they have and let that influence the day with their ballot? I think everybody does and and would. You know, if you or I were there voting, we would be saying, you know, uh, I once worked with whoever and didn't like them, so forget about them. Or, you know, it's it's human nature that emotion comes into the equation. There's no way to be objective and say that somebody is, some work is, is objectively better than something else. So I, I do, I'm not condoning all of the reasons that people use to justify their votes. Um, and there were certainly some questionable ones here, but it does not surprise me at all that there are things that come into place. Not again, people can't see all the movies. They don't want to see some of the movies. They don't like some of the people they, you know, have all kinds of reasons. And it shouldn't surprise us because Academy members are, you know, people too. And they have their, their various reasons of, uh, for why they do things. So I think the value, I always say like people ask sometimes, what's the point of putting out these ballots? If it's, you know, somebody gives sort of not particularly enlightened explanations or things. And I say, first of all, sunlight is the best disinfectant. I mean, let's get it out there and let's, I'd rather have more information than less information, but also I never claim that it's representative of the larger, that any one of these or even all of them together are representative or predictive of anything, because we're talking about an 8,000 member organization. You'd have to have hundreds to have a scientifically sound sample size. But what it does do is give you a sense of how people think. And I think that's important because when, you know, it, it, it's one of the things that's, that's made it clear to me about why things happen in like the sound categories, which a lot of people don't just, they don't understand the difference between sound editing and sound mixing, just as you or I might not, if that's not our area of expertise, if we're in the Academy. So then if that's the case, do you not vote for those in those categories or do you just vote for the movie that you like the most that's nominated in those categories or, you know, just how do you approach things like that? And I, I think it's been valuable to just understand how people think. Love that answer. And I, I happen to agree with you. More information is always better than less information. Uh, we, we could wrap up here, Scott. This was awesome. We love doing this. It's truly the high point of our year to talk to you and have you give us a couple of moments of your time. Thanks for asking me. And I appreciate all the support and, um, and you guys do a great job and thank you for Let's keep it going next year. Thanks so much, Scott. Absolutely All love right. it. Have, be good, Scott. Thank you. Take Thanks. Care. Bye-bye. I think we ended that interview just in time because I could feel meets coming you know, <laughs> like the I love you as our as we depart, like hanging up with a loved one. I could feel that coming up with me. But truly, the, the depth of respect I have for Scott Feynman. He knows. He knows enough. I, I truly do love that man. But uh, we cannot thank Scott Feinberg enough. Uh, the best in the business as far as yes, we're sir. concerned. Michael, where can we find his work? And what are some of his socials for our good listeners to make sure they follow Mr. Feinberg? Follow him at Scott Feinberg on Twitter. That's F E. 
F-E-I-N-B-E-R-G. He is Scott underscore Feinberg on Instagram. And again, we hope you enjoy all of his writing on HollywoodReporter.com. The blog is called The Race, and you can look at that throughout the year, not only for Oscars talk, but he covers all of the precursors, the film festivals, the Emmys as well. Uh, Enjoy the Feinberg forecast and let it make your day every time it comes out the way it does ours. Scott also moderates Q&As throughout the year. He's done a bunch of work for SAG-AFTRA. You can find all those interviews on YouTube. Be sure to check out Awards Chatter, like we said at the top of the show. Recent interviews with Bonnie Arnold of How to Train Your Dragon, Harriet Cynthia Revo, and Marriage Stories Alan Alda. They'll show up right at the top. Florence Pugh, I think, is up there as well. They're all terrific, like yeah. we said. And uh, make sure you read Scott's piece with Todd McCarthy on HollywoodReporter.com about their 2020 predictions. Who My will heart win. was smiling the whole time, that article. <laughs> who should win. <laughs> and uh, that's on Hollywood Reporter right uh, now. And uh, click on that for sure. That's kind of the most underrated aspect of what this man does because not only does he do all these podcasts and keep his finger on the pulse of what's going on and break news and, and be in the Academy's ear and make sure he's the one on the forefront and the front lines telling everybody like us what's going on, but he does these pieces that he releases during Oscars week that take like months of prep. He's going to be Ed Norton from Fight Club at some point. I don't know how the man sleeps. I told him this in the pre-production, but he also has these wonderful pieces. He just did a whole profile on former Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences president and George Lucas right-hand man Ashley Boone Jr. He also tracked down and recapped the previous 50 years of the life of once thought unfindable Academy Award winner Catherine Burns. Mm. So these are two pieces he just released this week along with the brutally honest Oscar ballot, which you heard another one is coming out if it's not out already, along with what the article Mike just said about who should win, who will win. He is Mr. Oscars, and we wanted to, to have him on originally for a reason. And again, we cannot thank him enough for his time so do be sure to go seek out scott feinberg wherever you can get your feinberg fix as for this episode i think we're done we got one more for you guys we will recap the indie spirits we will give you last second updates about everything going on in the oscars and academy awards news that'll probably be either late saturday night or early sunday morning that'll be out there for you guys then we go live And it's the Academy Awards. We're going to give you the Night of Academy recap. We'll be live tweeting. We'll be on Facebook, all the socials. You can interact with us there. We will record as soon as the Academy Awards go dark. We hit record, and we will get that episode out to you. I don't sleep that night. It's fine. I've forgotten what sleep is this week anyway. I don't know how Scott does what he does. But we do want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything Scott had to say to us in this episode, as well as anything we do cover here, as well as, you know, anything else we do in the MMO Empire. You could leave us those at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. If you would be so kind as to go on Apple Podcasts or your iPhone on the podcast app. Type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search. Tap on our logo when it pops up. Scroll down once and leave us a five-star review. We truly, truly appreciate that. We also appreciate Mr. Feinberg, Michael. So on this episode where he was nice enough to join us again, what are some words of wisdom for our listening audience? Follow Scott Feinberg. Be a fan of his. Seems wise to me. Join the cult with us. (laughs) We're starting the cult. If he didn't start, we asked him, we basically like needled him into it last year. Like, listen, man, if you're starting a cult, we will join it. We can get you a robe, essentially, is what we And he didn't do it. He didn't bite on it. So we have to start the cult for for him. We're hereby doing it. 
join. I, I don't. We're going to spread ourselves thin as druids because there's a lot of cults that we've <laughs> we've promised to join this year, but we stand by all of them, and Scott's at the forefront. So I agree. Those are very wise words. Go seek out Scott's work. Guys, we're almost at the finish line here. A couple more guests on the other side of the Oscars as well, but when reality does suck, you can come watch these movies and join the cult of Feinberg with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you very soon. See ya. See ya.